Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated, open your Bibles with me, or you can follow along with me in the YouVersion Bible app. How many of you follow along with me in the YouVersion Bible app? How many of you know how to download my notes in the YouVersion Bible app? Yeah, that's most of you. If you don't know, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app where there says more, click events, and then you'll see Faith Christian Center and our different messages we post there so you can download the events and follow along with me. Those are the same notes that I teach from uh, during our experience, and you can save it. You can add your own notes to it as God speaks to your heart throughout the message, or you can share those notes with family and friends and coworkers and neighbors. So as we prepare to get in the Word today, I want to let you know about two things that we have coming up. So we know Halloween is on October 31st. It falls on a Wednesday this year. But we have faith we don't celebrate Halloween. Amen? Amen? But I don't believe in giving any day to the darkness. One of the things we always do on uh, near Halloween or on the day is we always provide an alternative event for our kids where they can have a lot of fun, where they can also get more candy than their friends get trick-or-treating. So they can go to school the next day and say, hey, I got more candy at church than y'all did going trick-or-treating. That's kind of a good thing for the kids to say. And then also so much extra candy that when they go to sleep, y'all can eat still have some and the kids still have more than enough. So I was like, oh, pastor knows I take the kids candy afterwards. Yeah, we, we all know. I think, what was it, Jimmy Kimmel that let us know that? Yes. But one of the things we're doing this year is when Halloween falls on that Wednesday, that following Sunday is daylight savings time ends, right? So one of the things with daylight saving time ends, normal church attendance goes up because people are like, oh, I can go to church. I got another hour of sleep. So the normal congregation volunteers. More people are ready to come to church to an extra hour of sleep. But so are visitors. To the standpoint, in certain places within the nation, the daylight saving times, the day that ends, is more attended day at church than Easter in some places because Easter is associated with spring break. So more people are willing to come to church. They just need an invitation. Now, when someone knocks on your door, rings your doorbell, how many of you actually answer when someone does that? Yeah. That was like four hands. But on Halloween, people are expecting people to knock on their door. People are expecting people to ring their doorbell, and they're expecting to answer, right? So we're going to take advantage of that opportunity. And on Halloween night, I'm leading teams into our surrounding neighborhoods to go out give invitations attached to king-size candy to invite them to the faith experience that following Sunday. Because they're going to be willing. They're going to answer the door, look at the expect some kid in a costume. They see us, hey. Come have a faith experience. So we know not everybody's able to walk those distances or desires to walk those distances. So what we're doing that night, we will have an experience here for people who won't be able to walk that distance or choose not to. We'll have something for our youth as well as uh, kids. But also we'll have people who are willing to go with me into the neighborhoods and we'll go invite people and bring them to church and believe. And God already told me the message he wants me to share that Sunday. And we're believing people are going to get saved and come back to God like never before. We talked about we're fishers of men, right? And that God will give us creative ideas, bait, innovative nets to bring people to Jesus like never before. 
And so we're going to take advantage of that opportunity. We don't give any day to darkness. We don't cede any day to the darkness, but we bring light wherever we go. Amen? So if you want to sign up and be part of that outreach and go with me, you can go online and sign up on the outreach page for that. But also, if you're a person who lives too far away to make it on midweek because of traffic, you can still participate. When that day comes, we'll have flyers that you can take with you and give to people in your neighborhood. And you can also bring candy here, and we'll take it to the surrounding neighborhoods as well. But if you're going to give out candy at your house with a church invitation attached to it, or if you're going to give candy for us to give out, I do have a request. Please, no church candy. You know, the little strawberries and butterscotches now. <laughs> King-size candy that kids would like. Like, ooh, look what Jesus gave you. Now, oh, that's nice. Because what are we using candy for? Bait. We're fishers of men. We're about winning people to Jesus. Amen. We're going viral for the sake of the glory of God. Amen? And then on November 5th is the Monday before the election. And so before elections, we have a night of prayer. So Monday night before the election, November 5th, we're going to have prayer from 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. So that's what we're doing on Monday night, right? But guess what we're doing on Tuesday? See, some of y'all were spiritual. Some of y'all got to try it again. So on Monday, we're going to pray. And on Tuesday, we're going to... Oh, some of y'all are catching now. Yeah. Let's try it one more time. On Monday, we're going to pray, but on Tuesday, we're going to pray, then vote. So make sure you come out for prayer that Monday night, and then make sure you vote. You can post the peach and everything and say, we are faith, because we are faith, and we're also involved in our civic duties. Amen? And as I already mentioned before, starting on the first Wednesday, November, we're teaching a series called Preparing Your Family for 2019. So look at Galatians 6.10 and get into today's message. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. If you're newer here to faith, every fall, we take time to teach on faith, family, relationship, and marriage. We call it faith and family in the fall. And so we started the series two weeks ago, and we're going to continue today. And if you haven't been here for this series, we put all of our messages online for free on our website as well as on our podcast that you can download and follow along and catch up in our series. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially unto them who are of the what? Household or faith. Hebrews 10, 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. Notice it says live by faith, not use faith in emergency. Not use faith only when you're at church or feeling spiritual. Faith is our lifestyle. Everything we do has to be rooted and grounded in faith. So say it with me. Say, we live by faith. We, by faith. we are building our family, building our, family. Our, house, our house, our church, our church. By, faith, by faith, and on faith. We are the house of faith, and we are better together because we are faith. We're all in for our family, for our church, for our community, and for what God has called us to do. Since faith is our lifestyle, it's what we do every day. We live by faith on purpose and use our faith so much, it becomes a second nature as breathing. Remember, we looked at the scripture in the first week that Jesus said, have faith in God. The title of that message was called, Have a Cookie. If I walked up to you with a cookie and said, would you like a cookie? That's more of a suggestion and a question. But if I walked up to you and said, have a cookie, that's a command. Jesus didn't say, would you like to have faith in God? He said, have faith in God. 
He didn't say have faith in Supreme Court nomination and justices. He didn't say have faith in political parties. See, some of y'all trip so much and celebrate so much just because something political happens and you think Jesus is a donkey or an elephant. He's the lamb and the lion. So it doesn't matter what party you're in, what non-party you're in, it doesn't matter who wins the election, Jesus is not falling off the throne. Some of you need to say that actually like you believe it, like you actually believe what Psalm says, we don't put our trust in princes. Our trust is in our God. Jesus said, have faith in God. Well, what about the president? Have faith in God. What about the Congress? Have faith in God. What about the Supreme Court? Have faith in God. What about Wall Street? Have faith in God. What about the economy? Have faith in God. What about your family? Have faith in God. What about your spouse? Have faith in God. What about your kids? Have faith in God. Your faith can't be in man. Jeremiah 17, let's go ahead and turn this. Not in my notes. Go to Jeremiah 17. Look at verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in who? Man. And makes flesh his arm or his support, what he can do. Because what happens if he trusts in man and he puts his trust in what his ability can do? His heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a heath in the desert and shall not see when good comes. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not be inhabited. He won't have a fruitful life. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope and expectation the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when he comes. But her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Faith in God can cause you to live above the times. Faith in God can cause you to live above the times. If you have faith in God, it doesn't matter what happens around you. Because it can begin to affect you, but you can open your mouth and say, but my God is greater. But although I got a bad doctor's report, I have a God. Although an extra bill showed up, I've got a God. Although something happened in my family that I didn't like, I have a God. Although I saw something on the news that I didn't like, I have a God. That's part of my covenant. I'm not in this thing by myself. I've got a God who loves me and who has got my back and said he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. So why am I tripping over the news? I've got a God. That's what it means to have faith in God. So we said last week, our life is made up of different parts and pieces. Your family is made up of different parts and pieces. This church family is made up of different parts and pieces. We put the pieces of our lives, our families, our church together by faith. As we said last week, each of us is a piece of God's plan and holds a piece of God's plan. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everything we do is rooted and grounded in faith. How we treat our spouses is based on our faith in God. How we raise our children is based on our faith in God. If you're single, the way you date is based on your faith in God. The way you manage your money is based on your faith in God. The way you perform excellently in work is based on your faith in God. 
Faith has to be our foundation. Trust in God has to be our foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. If one part of our family or church suffers, we all suffer. If one part of our church family or our natural family doesn't do its part, we all suffer as well. If one part of our family or church doesn't do its part, we suffer as well. So the title of my message today is, It's Your Role and Your Role. It's your role and your role. It's your R-O-L-L and your R-O-L-E. It's your role and your role. Go to Colossians chapter 3 with me, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Well, I set up my props for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, how many of you have played games with your family? Board games. The board game in my house growing up of choice was Monopoly. And we played Monopoly in a very aggressive way. I won't call it savage. I'll call it business savvy. Because, you know, every house has their own house rules when it comes to Monopoly. We just took how we played to another level. Within my house, when all our families and uncles and aunts and cousins together, we took it to another level. To the point that when my middle brother was in high school in economics class, the teacher says, if you win the Monopoly game out of all the classes, you will get an A in the class and this amount of extra credit. So my brother finished that class like in 105. Because he played the way we play. And so when we play, we're doing the normal rules, but we're also cutting business deals at the same time. You know what? You don't have enough to buy that property, but I got you. I'll give you this amount if every time someone lands on that property, you give me 10% or 20% or 30%. So we're cutting deals. Oh, you don't have enough to pay for that bill, but I'll keep you stacked up a little bit. But that means anytime I land on, they lay on your property, I get this amount, and I get free passes on this. We're cutting deals the whole time. So when you play with us, it's different. See, the thing is, when people start playing with me, I usually don't explain my strategy. Now you know my strategy. Because when my wife first played with me, I never told her my strategy. It was a whole different type of game. We're playing with friends of ours, and I just kept my personal strategy to myself to the point that I had so much property that one of my friends took someone I wasn't looking, and I still didn't miss it. <laughs> but it was a strategy. So when you play that way, games can go on forever. And so when my family, we all play it, especially on holidays, sometimes spouses tag in for each other because the game has gone three hours, four hours, five hours. It's still going, and we're the type of people we're not going to quit. It's going to have to be like an eight-hour mark before we call time. And so they'll tag in, and you play for that long. People have to go eat. People have to go use the restroom. People go and do different things. 
And so they may leave the table while something's happening. And what do we do when they're gone? When it's their turn again, we say, hey, come back. It's your role. We can't go forward until you roll. See, the game is delayed until they roll. Is there something in your family that's delayed because you haven't rolled? Are there things that are delayed in church because you haven't stepped up to the plate and rolled? It's your roll and your roll. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read several passages to you that we're not going to break down today, but we're going to break down in the coming weeks. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Be filled with the word of God another way. And whatsoever, that means everything, right? And whatsoever you do in word or deed. So everything you say, everything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's a certain attitude we should do things if we're doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? There's a certain excellence that comes with it. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So everything he's about to say is rooted in being filled with the word of God. Because if you're not filled with the word of God, you won't be able to do it. If you're not going to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, you're not going to be able to do it well. So before Paul even gives family instructions, says you need to be filled with the word. You need to sing praise and worship all day long. What you're about to do, you need to do in the name of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the who? Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Remember when the Bible tells us to love somebody? It's the command to love just like Jesus loves. So you can say, husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves you. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the who? Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That word means the reverential awe of God. So everything he's about to say is coming from a place of giving God thanks and a place of mutual submission. See, there are husbands who have never been to church before, but they know the scripture says, wives, submit to your husbands. But then this verse before that talks about mutual submission. That there are times where the wise husband knows, my wife knows better than I do in this situation, so I submit to it. There are times where the wise woman understands that my husband knows more in this situation, so I'm going to submit to this situation. So notice it's coming from a place of reverential awe of the Lord. So how you go through your family relationships comes from a place of how much you reverence God. He said, but you don't know what they said, what they did, how they acted. I didn't ask you about what they said, what they did, or acted. Do you reverence God or not? He says, well, I don't want to submit to him. Don't marry someone you can't submit to. Well, they don't pray enough. Why did you marry them? Well, I was horny. I know, but you can wait. Don't start me on this. 
See, when I say stuff like that, y'all blush and turn away and, oh, my gosh, pastor said something. You know, like I told the first experience, y'all going to get over me preaching about sex and not blushing every time I say it because I'm going to say it, sex, 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 sex. Y'all talk about it. The Bible talks about it. So I'm going to talk about it because God wants you to have a great sex life. See, the married couple should have started shouting and taking off running at that point. I can always count on a good solid amen from Minister Eisen, but the other people should say amen. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Nevertheless, verse 33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And when you look at the verses before that, he talks about loving like Christ loves, meaning giving yourself like Christ gave himself for us. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first command with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So everything we do in our family is rooted in our faith in our Lord. Some of you things like people are like, ooh, I escaped. No, I'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Ooh, he's going to get on the married couples today. Going to coast on through this message. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's your role and your role. And we'll break down this passage even more as we get into the series. And I know the Winstons will touch on part of this next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 32, but I want to have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the who? How he may please the who? So if you're single, your main dedication is living for Jesus. So if you're single, you got some extra time. Well, what should I do with my extra time? Do things for Jesus. Volunteer. Help out. That's your focus. But it says he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. That word please actually means seek to be agreeable to. So quiet. Because it's usually not the big things that take marriages down. It's the itty-bitty little things. Because you keep going, it says, and the wife should seek to be agreeable to the husband, to seek to please the husband. It's sometimes the itty-bitty irritations that take marriages down because we all have annoying habits. You may be sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, on to heaven with, going to heaven with a mighty burning fire in your belly. That's great. That's good, but you're still annoying. <laughs> we all have our annoying ways. And when you live with someone, it's amplified. So when I have couples who are about to get married, they come in my heart office, you know, I ask them, you know, I kind of build up to some questions. So they're all nice and encouraging by the time they get to session four, five, six, it's bam! But first it's kind of nice and gentle. So one of the first questions I ask, well, what do you guys like about each other? And so they list, and it's all lovey-dovey. I says, great, I'm glad you liked each other, because if you did, you wouldn't be in my office. So now I want you to list what y'all, what gets on your nerves about the other person. Write it down and rate it one to ten. So they write things. And one of the things as I look at it, I'm checking for red flags. And there's usually not on that list. And so as I look at it, 
And then they put a note back to it. I said, see what happens when people come into my office? They're really nice. This is, well, it's the first time we don't want to expose all of our business to pastor. Or you're just engaged and you're so in love. So I said, this is your rating, but I'm adding two to it because it's more truthful than how you really feel. And so then I go through the list. I said, this habit is a 10 for you. Is this a deal breaker to you? Yes, we expect people to grow and change, but you don't marry people for their growth. You don't marry people for their future change. Can you deal with the person you're married with to right at this moment if they never change for the rest of their life? If you can't, then don't get married. He said, well, I don't have the patience for that. Then don't get married. He's like, but, but, but pastor, I, uh. look, it's better to control your flesh than marry crazy <laughs> and deal with crazy for decades. So it's the annoying things. You annoy your spouse, your spouse annoys you. The longer you live together, you get advanced degrees in annoyance. Some of you are still young in marriage. You got undergrad degrees. Some of you got masters. Some of you have been here for a while. You got PhDs. You know how to push your spouse's button really well. It doesn't even take long to work to it. You know exactly what to do at that moment. But when you seek to be agreeable to each other, you're making a decision. I'm going to work on my annoying habits. Because you got some. If you don't think you got some, ask your spouse. They would love to give you revelation straight from the throne of God. So you develop a plan and say, I'm going to work on what annoys my spouse so that I can be agreeable to them. Now, also, since we're on this and haven't gotten past this, I didn't plan to break down this passage, but let's talk about people being needy. See, the thing is, everyone has needs, right? How many of you have needs? And one of the reasons you get married is because you want your spouse to meet some of those needs. But you can't expect your spouse to meet all of your needs because your spouse ain't your God. You'll be sadly disappointed. Even if they're a terrific spouse, they're not going to be able to do everything. Although your spouse can help meet your, some of your self-esteem needs, but if you have low self-esteem, you getting married will not fix it. You have to know who you are in Christ before you say, I do, if you expect to have a successful and fruitful marriage, or you can put pressure on your spouse to do things God never intended for them to do. So some of you need to check your neediness. Yes, some singles, but some of you married people. You need to check your neediness. Some of the things you're complaining about your spouse that they're not doing was not what they're intended and created to do in the first place. You need to go back to your prayer closet and leave some neediness at the altar. Get yourself right before God before you complain about somebody else. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, the toothpick in one eye and the telephone pole and the other. Everybody likes to talk about the telephone pole in their spouse's eye, but what about the one in yours? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Just be glad I didn't do the war cry. But anywho. There's a difference also between the wife and the unmarried woman. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and spirit, but she that's married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. We all have a role. Singles, you have a role. Married couples, you have a role. You must make sure you're fulfilling your role. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Well, actually, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 first. I remember when Bishop and Pastor Deborah did my premarital counseling with my wife. So we had different levels of it. We had the normal level of it, and then we had premarital counseling for those who were going into ministry and would eventually be pastors. And so we met with them for hours at a time, and then every time they were in town where we are living, they would take us out to them and add another layer to it. So at one of those times, Bishop told us, marriage is work. Ministry is work. As long as you're willing to work, you'll be all right. <laughs> and it's exactly right. A lot of people think marriage is a Disney movie. Well, come on, that's a cartoon. That's fake. Someone got paid to make that. Marriage is work. You have to put work in. And it's not work on the days where everybody's happy and so in love and enjoying each other. It's work when you're annoyed at each other. Are you willing to put on the work on your bad days, on the days you have issues? Because we all have issues. Look at your neighbor and say, you got issues. Look at your other neighbor and say, you got a whole subscription. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. What is that first word there? Or means in the same way. But in under, to understand, likewise, you have to understand the context of it. So go all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So if you're studying the Bible and you're reading the Bible, you're new to the Bible, don't start at a scripture that says therefore, or likewise, or but. Understand why those phrases are there. You have to back up and read the scripture in context. Because if you take a scripture out of context, you take a text out of context, you're left with the con. You have to understand the word and the context in which it's written. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So you can go back even further to read. But when you get to, but you are a chosen generation, this is the likewise he's referring to. You're not what you were in the past, but this is who you are now. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, have near conversation, that word there means lifestyle, Honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may behold your good works, say good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So when he says likewise, he's comparing that you're living your life as strangers and pilgrims, not as people who are of the world, but people who are in the world, but they have a different home called heaven. He's talking about the way you live your lifestyle honest before the Gentiles. So in that context... Peter goes on to talk about family life. So you get to chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, or in the same way. You're supposed to have your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. In the same way, you're supposed to live as strangers and foreigners. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the lifestyle of the wives. Notice, there's sometimes you both could be unsaved or not living for God when you get married, and one of you... Let's say for the wife, as an example, the wife gets saved first, but the husband has, has no desire to come to church, has no desire to be saved. But what some wives think is their job to do is to become the spiritual policewoman over the husband. 
and tell him all the things he's doing wrong and use every scripture. But when we preach, we're supposed to say what God says, right? Jesus said, I say what I hear my father say. I do what I see my father do. Could it be wise? The reason why your husband doesn't want to come to church is because you go home and preach the wrong message. That what you're preaching is telling them they don't want your Jesus. Oh, y'all can get real quiet if you want. Because Peter said they can be one to Jesus without the word. He said, well, the word's important. It's the most important thing. Yes. But if you live the word before them, they'll want to know your Jesus. The way you live, Peter is saying, is going to want to know them about Jesus. They're home watching a football game. You come home and you are full of the love of God and you're blessing to them. You have their favorite snack for the game. They're going, man, they go to church and they come back real nice. They don't come back judging me for not going to church. I kind of want to see what that church is about. You can draw them in. See, even works with kids and teenagers. I had, when I was a youth pastor, there were teenagers who would walk to church. Their parents didn't come to church. I knew they had parents because they would show up with permission slips and money, so I knew they existed somewhere. But I never met them yet. But the kids got on fire for God. They started living for God. And then they brought their parents to church. Because parents had to say, what? why does my kid want to go to church every week, multiple times a week? What is this church doing? And then the parent got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and delivered and set free. See, the way you live your lifestyle is a witnessing tool. And so Peter is talking about how you live. Because then he talks about what you wear. Now, when people read this, it's like, oh, God doesn't want us to wear nice clothes or jewelry. He did not say that. The context of the scripture is your focus should not only be on what you wear on the outside. You need to focus more on your heart. You need to focus more on your spirit. You can wear nice things, but if you can wear nice things on the outside, make sure you look nice on the inside. Don't be a million-dollar move in a 10-cent shop. We've all seen that basketball games, they do the sweet move, and they go up for a layup, and they miss. You're not supposed to miss layups. If anything, you don't miss layups. If, you play, if you're on the team and you miss a layup, they make you run. And do suicide so you throw up. But so many people, church people, y'all look nice and churchy on the outside. But on the inside, it's a 10-cent shot. Jesus had another phrase for them when he talked to the Pharisees, the uber-religious people of the day. He said, you whitewashed tombs. You look clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. That's not nice, Jesus. Then he said, y'all wash the outside of the cup but drink from dirty cups on the inside. We got to make sure that Christianity is not the greatest show on earth. Now, that's a sweet song from that movie. But sometimes church is the greatest show on earth. Because everybody loves to put on the nice show. But if you're going to put on a nice show, it better be real on the inside. And then it gets on in the same way, husbands, this is what you're supposed to do. Dwell with them according to knowledge. To dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You have to understand her. People say, well, there's some men say, well, I can't understand all women. You don't have to understand all women. Just understand yours. That takes enough effort. If you have daughters, understand them too. If you got multiple like me, pray in the Holy Ghost more. <laughs> understand them. 
That means you have to investigate, which means you have to ask questions. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'm not that talkative. People think because I'm a preacher that I'm normally that talkative. This is the grace of God in operation that you're witnessing. Because when that grace lifts, it goes, goes back to, hmm. Yeah. It's not going to be super great details. I'm telling you, when this grace lifts, I may or may not eat. I'm going to crash when I get home. I'm not going to go home with a whole bunch of vocabulary. I've reached my word limit. Now, now some of you husbands have to help me out. How many of your other husbands reach your word limit? Some of you are like, I don't want to lift my hand. Now, here's what you do. One of the books I encourage all married couples to read is Who Switched Off Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Anointed woman of God, has studied the brain for decades, mighty woman of God. And she talks about the differences in that book between the male and the female brain, how they are actually different. The things that the male brain is better at and the things the female brain is better at. So she lists all the different things and how they're compatible and they should work together. But when it comes to cave time, it says there are, they talks about when the man comes home from work, the level of his brain activity goes from here and drops super low. So why is you wonder, well, why is my husband coming home and turning on ESPN and staring like a zombie? That's why. Some of you are like, oh, look at the Holy Ghost revealing mysteries today. <laughs> Some of them don't stare at ESPN. They may stare at the phone. They may play a video game. What happened? Their brain activity dipped down. It's coming up. This is why usually go home work, their activity stays up longer. But the way the man, usually 90% of times, relaxes and de-stresses from the day, could be tuning out. But normally, 90% of the time, the way the wife de-stresses from the day is through communication. And not just guy-style communication. Because guys' communication, if we're going to talk, there's a point to the conversation. There's an A and a B. There's a start point and an end point. We're not talking just to talk. We're talking to get to a place in this conversation. That's how we talk to each other. We may talk to each other with facial expressions that look crazy, but we don't care. Fellas, you are going to help me out and say amen. <laughs> and it's just the normal. We don't think of it. But if you use that same facial expression to your wife, it's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Why are you looking at me at that, that way? Something happened today, you're like, what are you talking about? Your face. And so sometimes we say, God, help my face. <laughs> and so what you do is allow him to have that downtime for about that hour, the hour 15 minutes. But, fellas, what you need to do when that hour, the hour 15 minutes is over, you need to go to your wife and have her style of conversation. Let her talk to you the way she would talk to one of her girlfriends. Remember, everything we're doing is from faith and reverence for God. <laughs> so let her have a conversation that starts with details you don't care anything about. She may say, well, I went to lunch with my girls today. But the conversation starts at 9 a.m. when she left the house. And she drove by and saw this billboard. And this billboard meant this to her. And she walked into the room. She saw someone and said, yeah, they were feeling this. You're thinking, well, how in the world does she know what they're feeling? Don't ask that question. Just listen. Don't just listen to say, uh, I heard you. Listen so you can reply intelligently. So later when she brings up, oh, yeah, so-and-so, you don't have to go, oh, who is so-and-so? Who is so-and-so? Oh, who is that person? Jesus, Holy Ghost, I need a gift of the Spirit right now. What is that person's name? 
but be able to respond because you've talked and communicated and you can have an intelligent response. And don't listen to fix. It's in our man nature to fix stuff. We want to fix problems. But sometimes she's not talking to you to fix things. She just wants to talk to you. Well, I know I am. I see y'all staring at me. I see some people taking notes. Some people looking at their spouse. Some people are just cutting sideways because they don't want to get in trouble after, the, after this message is over. But then have that type of conversation for about an hour. Now, ladies, please have mercy on him. Because he's not one of your girlfriends. You know when you lose him. When those eyes begin to glaze over. See, the, the laughter is the amen. It's like, Pastor, we've seen it. We've seen the eyes. Just have mercy on them. But dwell with each other according to knowledge that you know how to communicate. And that takes time. See, one of the reasons why we've all seen couples who didn't make it to year one or year five. But we've all seen couples who've made it to year 20, year 25, and all of a sudden, they divorce. Now, what happened in that time? They stopped being friends. They were still partners, but they were focused on raising the children and not going crazy in the process. But after the kids left the house, they go back and try to love the person they married, but that person doesn't exist anymore because they're not the same person. They've changed in 20, 25 years. So a lot of people say, well, I'm not in love anymore. It's not the fact that you're not in love. It's just you're still trying to love a person that doesn't exist anymore. You're trying to love that 19-year-old, that 22-year-old who's 45. People change. So what you need to do is update each other as you change. So wives, your husband would have a favorite meal. And guys, you may enjoy it for the first 5, 10 years. Year 11, you may not like it anymore. But it seems like she likes cooking it or whatever, so you don't say that you don't like it. So you eat it for another 10, 20 years, and you're just eating it. And then it slips out one day. It wasn't planned. Yeah, I really don't like this meal. You don't like this meal? I've cooked it for six to eight hours. And I've cooked it for decades. Where did you stop? Update each other if things change. That's how you live together. It's going to take effective communication, not just communication. So that means you have to schedule times to talk. We're not talking about budget today, but you need to talk about money. Single people, make sure before you get married, before you say I do, you need to see people's credit score. One of the things I make people do who go to the marriage counts with me, I make them print out their credit score. I say, I don't want to see it to show each other. I want to make sure y'all know. You need to talk about what they owe, what they don't owe. So that when you say, I do, it's like, oh, oh, we're financially set. Oh, I for- Did I forget to tell you? <laughs> I got to lean here. I got to lean there. I got so many leans, I lean back. Now. You need to have that conversation. You need to talk about everything. Marriage is hard enough without secrets. You're not supposed to be taking secrets into marriage. 
You should know everything about each other as humanly possible. And also, you need to talk about unexpressed expectations, because unexpressed expectations that are met lead to bitterness. And you can be bitter about your spouse with something they didn't even know you wanted. You didn't even know you had that expectation. So one of the things you want to tell your spouse or the person you're getting ready to marry, things you saw growing up that you liked. Because the thing is, you could, you could have a family where one of the spouses brought breakfast in bed every Saturday morning to show how much they love the other person. And you thought that was normal. And you married to a person who doesn't, they, they never saw them breakfast in bed. They just had toaster strudels and Pop-Tarts and they went and enjoyed their day. <laughs> so they popped some Pop-Tarts and toaster strudels and said, hey, here's your breakfast. And you're thinking, they don't love me. Why didn't they bring me breakfast in bed? Because they never saw it. They didn't know you had the expectation. So you can't judge from things you never talked to them about. I'm way away from my notes. <laughs> but you have to have those conversations if you're going to dwell together and have an effective relationship. To have an effective marriage, you have to talk about those things. And date night is not the time to talk about it. Because some of you guys have date nights, and you go and talk about all the drama going on, the crazy thing your kid did, the crazy thing that happened at school, the crazy teacher. You talk about the finances. This is not a date night. This is a business conversation. <laughs> have that business conversation at other times, but when you have date night, act like teenagers and just enjoy it. Hang out. Have fun. But that means you have to schedule your life correctly. That's where we're going in this series. That's how we're building the house of faith. So today's just a teaser. Romans 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink, for in doing so you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Too many times we try to get even with the people in our house. Instead of overcoming circumstances with good. It is your role to do good. First Peter told us when he kept reading the whole chapter that if you don't do what you're supposed to do in this family relationship, your prayers will be hindered. If you don't do good towards your spouse and do the good that you saw in First Peter, your prayers will be hindered. So just because your spouse child, or someone else did, did not do what they're supposed to do, will you really give up the effectiveness of your prayer life? Just because your spouse didn't do what they're supposed to do, or the kids didn't do what they're supposed to do, or someone else in your life didn't do what they're supposed to do, will you give up the effectiveness of your prayer life to hold on to that grudge? Are you killing the power of your prayers with your pettiness? Are you killing the power of your prayers with your pettiness? Remember, everything we do, from how we relate to our spouse, from raising children, to anything we do, we do it on the basis of faith in God. One of the ways we use and release our faith is through our prayer life. To effectively roll and operate in our roles, we must effectively pray. You must effectively pray for your spouse and children. You must effectively pray. Notice I keep saying effectively, effectively, effectively. 
right? See, because some people pray in a different way that's not effective. So I'll let the Isons be my example again. Because some of y'all get nervous when I ask for examples. Except if it's high calories like cookies, then y'all are very willing. So some people pray for their spouse like this, either because of immaturity or because they're annoyed with their spouse. Mm. Bless them, Jesus. <laughs> it's now I'm taking out the trash self. Bless them. See, Jesus, I prayed for them. Mark it off my spiritual checklist. That is not effectively praying for your spouse. You're supposed to cover your spouse in prayer. That is not covering your spouse in prayer. Checking off the list is not covering your spouse in prayer. This is covering your spouse in prayer. Father, I lift up my spouse to you today. I plead the blood of Jesus over them right now. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. Satan, you cannot stop them. They will have a good day. Every dark area of their life is light up by the light of God. Their angels attach and surround them and keep them safe wherever they go. Father, give them wisdom. Give them understanding. Lead them and guide them the way they should go. Strengthen them so they can stand strong. When they go to work today, may the blessing be upon them. Answer questions that they need. And you go through every scriptural promise you know to stand on and then when you're done with those scriptural promises said, I'm going to pray for them now in the Holy Ghost Satan you can't have them they're covered in the blood of Jesus what are you doing you are covering your spouse in prayer it can't just be bless them Jesus you got to be a prayer warrior where your spouse is concerned Men, you must pray for your wives. Women, you must pray for your husbands. Don't just bless them, Jesus. Cover them in prayer. Thank you, guys. So you'll see in the notes I put different parts and prayers you can pray for them. Women, pray Psalm 112 over your husband. Fellas, pray Proverbs 31 over your wife. I put different scriptures on. You can pray over them. But you also need to effectively pray for your children. I put a link here in the notes to a message I preach on how to pray effectively for your children. But always remember, what you pray needs to match what you say. What you pray needs to match what you say. Because you're either going to believe the words you pray, or you're going to believe the words that you say. So even when you have to correct your children and discipline them, you can't correct them from a place of anger. You're not disciplining them because you're angry. You discipline them because they didn't do the right thing. You're disciplining them because you want them to be successful. You discipline them because you're going to discipline them so the streets and the prison system doesn't have to discipline them. So you don't discipline them when you're angry. If you're that angry, say, go to your room. I'll deal with it. It's better that you depart out of my presence. <laughs> go and wait in your room and intercede before God. <laughs> Don't deal with them when you're angry. Because one of the things you have to understand about your children, although they'll always be your children, they're also your brother and sister in the Lord. How would you like someone to correct you who's your brother and sister in your Lord? Over your kids, you are God's God's representatives to raise them in the things of God. Also keep in mind, how do you like God to correct you when you blow it? Because he is your father. How do you like him to correct you? Take that into consideration. One of the things we have to do when we're raising and correcting and disciplining our kids, we need to make sure that we're raising them and disciplining them to, according to the word of God, not like this on some plantation. 
We have to raise them to be who God has called them to be. See, I heard it said before, if you speak to the fool in your child, the fool will rise up. But if you speak to the king in your son, the king will rise up. If you speak to the queen in your daughter, the queen will rise up. When you discipline them, you have to make sure you're not contradicting the words that you're praying. So even if they do something completely stupid, you have to make the distinction. What you did was stupid, but you're not stupid. And you're being corrected because we're not raising you this way. This is not the trajectory you're going to stay on. You're going to do what God's called you to do. That's why you're being corrected. You're not stupid. What you did was stupid, but you don't have to do stupid things again. You're making the distinction so that even when you correct them, they're hearing words of life from you. They're hearing words of faith, words of love. This is not who you are. Yeah, you made a mistake, but thank God you don't have to stay in your mistakes. Next time you don't have to do this, you can do better. That's why you're being corrected. That's why you're being disciplined. Why? Everything we do is rooted in faith. You don't discipline and correct your child out of fear. Because then what you do doesn't work. And it opens the door for the enemy to torment them. Everything we do has to be rooted in faith and love that flows from our God. If we expect to build the house of faith. So go to Mark 11 and we're close here. One of the things we see from Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, before Paul gives instructions for the family life, he proceeds the instructions to be filled with the Spirit and to be a person who is continually praising and worshiping God. When he begins the part of mutual submission, he says we are to do it with reverence for all of God. Our decisions of how we relate to each other are founded upon faith in God with reverence for all of him. Mark 11, verse 22, and Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, believe that you take them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have all against ending, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Understand this. Prayer will not be effective from a heart filled with unforgiveness. Prayer will not be effective from a heart filled with unforgiveness. If you're always bitter, always blaming people, always full of unforgiveness, you can call yourself a prayer warrior all day long, but your prayers have no power. You just got spit on the ceiling. If you're going to be an effective prayer warrior, you got to forgive everybody of everything. You have to walk in love even towards your spouse and your children. Forgive everybody of everything, including your spouse and your children. Through basing your decisions on faith in God and reverential awe for him, by deciding in advance to walk in love and forgive, you are now ready to take your role and your role. This is how we build the house of faith. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit 
and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.